allow me to go squirrel as we open the show at 10.04. Do you remember the song, um, Do Anything for Your Lovin'? Um, I will find it. This I have no ability to talk about a thing and try to listen and try to hear it in my head at the same time. Okay. Uh, yeah, I Hold don't on. remember it right off the top of my head. One you, hit wonder. Okay. Early 90s, late 80s. This hmm. is what the song reminds me of. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. I will totally. Yeah. Natural selection. That's what it was. Colin, I'm going to send this to you. Um, because this is what that song reminded me of really fast. Oh, all right. Uh, no, um, that, was, that was Michael Penn with Now uh, I Have a Plane in My Ear. With No Myth, which is just a great, great piece of music. Uh, he's written a couple of really nice songs. I like that. I was right. 1991 is okay. Natural Selection. This is like truly one of those one. I don't know what else Natural Selection did except this, which we'll play here in a second. I think it's clean. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> All right, yeah, I hear it. Just a little bit. That's that's what I, I knew that wasn't it, but that's immediately what that reminded me of. Sure. So, Colin, oh, I'm not I remember, Yeah, I remember the song now. No, no, yeah, I, I, I remember that one. That's, uh, yeah, that was at the time when I worked down the hall from the Top 40 station, and they played that one to death. And then it, after about a month, it was gone. Yeah, but it just has a very distinct beginning there. So I agree with it. Have not heard it, but I like it. <laughs> you like it? Wow. I like okay. it. Colin will know the whole album if by the time. Like you know, the it's like 80s, show. whatever. Yeah, it's it's up my alley. Yeah, you've got some pretty eclectic tastes. Um, all right, welcome in here. Uh, sorry to go immediately squirrel on a Thursday morning. This is what happens sometimes. Um, wanted to start with a story out of KCK. Um, we had heard a little bit about this yesterday. And again, I'm sort of glad that we waited to talk about this. So this was um, the homicide that happened outside of an auto parts store in KCK. And the reason it is of more interest now is because of how this whole thing started. And it gets us into a conversation again about shoplifting in stores and when the, the employees decide to confront somebody about it. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's been the advice of police all the way along not to do that because exactly something like this might happen. Uh, where it isn't supposed to. So uh, there was a death involved in this, obviously, as Jamie said at the beginning. But the death didn't occur in the way that you might think. And we you learned a lot more details about this on Kansas City's Morning News this morning. They were, were talking a bit about this. The fact that it all started with a shoplifting incident where a couple of guys went into the store and allegedly stole something. They said it was fluid of some kind, you know, whether it was motor oil or antifreeze or whatever. They, they went in and they stole something out of the store. The manager of the store ran out and confronted them in the parking lot, and it led to a fight. So while the fight was going on, um, there was there, there's now an allegation that the manager got one of the guys on the ground and started choking him. That's the guy who's now dead. And now the police have to figure out, okay, what do we do about this? Yes. Um, and if you have thoughts here, 913-586-7798. Um, yes. Complicated, right? Because should ha should that store employee, should that manager have even chased them outside the store? Again, I'm having deja vu about other stories that we've done like this. Sure. And it's one thing to chase them outside the store. It's another thing to get into a fight. It's another thing for someone to be killed in the process. Yeah, to choke somebody out, literally. And it just, uh, I mean, the, the, all of the things that have been said about this already, about the fact that it's shoplifting. It's such a minor thing. In comparison to somebody ending up dead, that, that it's the kind of thing where nobody ever should. And then there's a larger question in that about the fact that 
you know, this you have a death involved in this now. This isn't the kind of thing that they can just let go because mm-hmm. there are rules about when you can use that kind of deadly force against somebody. And yes, choking somebody is deadly force. So can you do that in response to shoplifting? Can you do that in response to a fight that you get into with somebody? And the answer to those questions is usually no. The only time that you're allowed to meet somebody with deadly force of any kind is if you are in fear of death yourself or death of somebody else or great bodily harm. And in this case, that's going to be up to the the police to decide whether that fight elevated to that level. And at that point, you have to also ask, okay, who was it that initiated the physical contact? Right, right. And there are things we don't know, like did this manager see a gun? Did this manager see a weapon on that shoplifter while they were in the store that would, I'm sure the store manager and the store manager's lawyer is looking for, did you feel your life was in danger? Or was it just a matter of they were doing something wrong in the store, I feel justified to play this out? Or was it just a matter of impulse takes over? And you just stop thinking about what you're doing. Sure. Well, and most of the reason, it's it's kind of an oddity in this, that most of the reason why they tell you not to do that, and when I say they, I mean both the authorities and a lot of businesses that, that have store policies that say don't do this, do not go out and confront a shoplifter. If you're an employee here, if you're not security, it's not your job to deal with shoplifters, don't do it. And most of the time when they when they say that, when they put those policies in place, Obviously, any policy a business puts in place is to protect itself. They're protecting the business. But what they're protecting the business from is your relative suing the business when you get shot by the guy who just stole something. It rarely goes the other way. But in this case, it did. 913-586-7798. We'll kick this off with Richard in Independence. Hi, Richard. Hey, good morning, guys. So I'm going to say this. The manager was absolutely in the wrong. He should not have chased him out of the store. O'Reilly's has cameras everywhere, and they do prosecute. And so basically we have a dead man now over a bottle of antifreeze, a $12 bottle of antifreeze. Um, the, and there's no way he can claim his life was in any type of threat or danger, or he was worried about his life because he took off after the guy out of the store. And O'Reilly's does have a clear policy that you don't do that. Right. It, it's going to be that. it's going to be a lot more difficult for him to do that. Go ahead. Can you continue your point? But well, it's like me. I, I drive a I drive a hundred and fifty thousand dollar truck for a living every day. If somebody come up and try to try to carjack me for this truck, I'm, I'm not going to fight them for it. They can have it. My, my, my company pays insurance for a reason. Sure. Yeah. And, 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 and I'll give it to them. I'm escaping with my life. As long as they let me have my life, they can have the truck. You got it. Richard, thank you. Yeah, that's – it's difficult, right, because he's the good guy. I mean, right. right up until somebody dies, the manager of this store is the good guy. He's the, he's the victim in that case. It was – well, not him personally, but it was his store that was being robbed. And for it to immediately turn around that fast, I mean – it's it's the kind of thing where I know we're going to hear from people saying, oh, I don't have any sympathy for that guy. He shouldn't have stole anything. I understand that, but the, the, you know, it's not necessarily a matter of sympathy. It's a, it's a matter of what the law is going to have to say about this. Yeah, to me, it it ends. If he is going to argue at all or defend himself at all, it ends when that shoplifter left the store. When you chased him out of the store, he's no longer shoplifting. He is no longer a danger to you. 
this now is on you when it gets out of the store. Yeah. And, and as far as what Richard said about, you know, the, um, the, the, there was no reason for him to be in fear of his life. To come to his defense here for just a minute, we don't know that. Uh, right. I mean, we, we don't know the ins and outs of what happened during that fight. And like you said, Jamie, I mean, if for, for some reason the guy had a knife on him and pulled it on him and he yeah. felt that was the only way to get away from it. But it's that initial contact that really is what needs to be talked about here because it's just a matter of not wanting to see somebody dead at all, much less, as he said, not wanting to see somebody dead over a 12 or $15 bottle of antifreeze. Let's go to Tim in Overland Park up next. Hi, Tim. Hi, thanks for having me on. You bet. Um, I, I, you know, I think that uh, uh, I'm, you know, we don't have enough information on what happened as far as the, the guy who died, and, and that's a tragedy. But I think uh, the shoplifting is not a victimless crime because a lot of these retail managers are paid by bonus on the pro- and, and employees are paid by bonus of the profitability of the store. And if you know they're having a high shoplifting problem, that's taking food off their table. Oh yeah, it's, you know, so that, yeah. They, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not condoning vigilanteism, but if somebody's trying to take food off my table, you know, and, and I'm and I'm two or three dollars away from making my bonus, you know, I'd be pretty upset too. Then I say, go ahead and chase them out of the store, but you don't fight with them. I mean, because because if your goal is to have them not steal anything, then scream at them, yell at them to get out of your store, but don't lay a hand on them. Well, but then again, so, so then we're talking about things where we don't have all the information, right? I, I'm just saying from the point of view of some of the retail, of why, you know, shoplifting is not a victimless crime because people who are working hard are, are losing money because of that. But, again, but I'll just kind of put out there, what don't you know that would make it okay for him to beat up the guy outside the store? Well, I, I don't know if the guy, if he ran outside, chased him outside, like like he said was okay, and then the guy turned around and punched him. I, I don't know that. I don't I don't know any of that any of that story. I don't know. I don't have any information on it, and I think it's too early to to make a judgment because we don't have the information. So so what we can talk about is is shoplifting and, and stopping people from shoplifting, but but that insta that specific incident is, you know, we don't have all the information. And we weren't there. We don't know what was perceived. You know, that's that's for what the the police and the, and the courts are for. And thanks for the call. Yeah, I appreciate you getting in. But again, that's why I'll ask, tell me the scenario in which you feel like it's, I mean, I mean, let's hypothesize for a second. What's the scenario in which stopping shoplifting, you know, protecting his money, goes to a fight outside the store. Yeah, and keep in mind, I mean, we're going to know the answer to some of those questions. Maybe we won't specifically, but a jury, if it comes to that, yeah. definitely will because of exactly what Richard said. They've got surveillance cameras all over the place. There's undoubtedly surveillance footage that the police are looking over right now to figure out exactly what happened and what the, the pardon the use of the term, the blow-by-blow blow was of what went on here. And And the thing is, I don't want to see this guy in trouble. I don't want to see the manager end up with an involuntary manslaughter charge. I don't right. want to see that because at the at the initial, you're right. I mean, he very well may have been trying to protect his own P&L statement at the end of the month. And and you don't want to see that guy end up with, with some kind of charge that he's going to have to defend himself from. But his actions are part of what's going to determine that. 913-586-7798. We're getting more phone calls. We'll get to more of your calls next here on KMBZ.
All right, so we're talking about the story at a KCK that happened outside an O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Uh, you have a store manager that saw someone shoplifting and chased the person out of the store, ended up getting into a fist fight, and then literally, what was the verb? I mean, strangled the guy. I mean, choked absolutely out, yeah. took the guy out, choked him out. So now you have a guy that's dead and no charges filed yet. So that's where we are now. We'll go to your phone calls, 913-586-7798. Ashley is up next out of St. Joe. Hey, Ashley. Hey, guys. About uh, 16 years ago, I was in a hit-and-run accident. Uh, it wasn't bad enough to where I couldn't drive my car, so I decided that I would chase these guys. I was on the phone with 911, had their um, license plate already conveyed to them, doing about 90, 95 mile an hour up I-29 in my little Suzuki area, <laughs> and they decided to pull out a gun and start shooting at me. I should not have followed them. I Once I had their license plate turned over to the police and the make and model and the color and all that, I should have let it go. That was my mistake because I was like, no, you're not going to do that and get away with it. It's wrong. Um, but that was my mistake. And, yeah, it was wrong of the guy to be shoplifting. It's also wrong of the store manager to have followed him out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, two things can be true at the same time. Uh, well said, <laughs> Ashley. And and that's how quickly it can turn. I mean, that's exactly when, when she talked about you don't know that the guy's going to pull out a gun and start shooting at you until he does. The story we did yesterday yeah. about the woman in Kansas City who woke up at 3.30 in the morning to feed her baby and heard something going on outside. And it turns out there was a guy trying to steal her Hyundai. So she yells at him out the window and he shoots her. And there were some of you that said yesterday she should have just called police instead of yelling out the window. You don't know that he's going to have a gun, but you prevent that from happening or minimize the possibility of that happening if you call police instead. You already know the guy's a criminal. Right. That, right. That's that's already there. That's already on the table. So what you don't know is what level of criminal, what level of crime is he willing to to commit? And I'd rather not test that theory. Um, yeah. Somebody in the text line said, because uh, keep in mind, O'Reilly O'Reilly Auto Parts is a national a national chain. Somebody on the text line said, former manager, former district manager for O'Reilly, and said. Managers are not trained on how to properly handle potentially dangerous customers or shoplifters. They don't, O'Reilly Auto Parts doesn't have a policy in place for what to do. Even as basic as chase them out of the store or call police or let them go. Or don't chase them out of the store. Yeah. And we don't know. I mean, I've never worked for O'Reilly's. I worked for yeah. an auto parts store when I was 17, but it was a different brand. So I, yeah, I have no idea what they train their managers for or what they don't. And, and having a having a policy in place doesn't help you much if you don't if you don't reiterate it, if you, if you don't you know train everybody in and to let everybody know what it is. But you'd figure that somebody who already rose up to the point of manager would know better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll see. So far, no charges filed. I bet we'll end up hearing more about this at some point. No I, doubt. I can't believe you don't charge him with something. Maybe not the worst thing you can give him, but something I bet will end up coming out of this. Right, speaking of violence for seemingly no reason, um, this story's been on our list here for a couple of days, a story out of Florida. Tell me if you've heard this one before. We have a 78-year-old guy who gets mad about something. This time it was a neighbor and shoots the guy. Um, and it was fatal. 
this time it was fatal. Yeah, I want to know a little bit more about this story because the way that it was initially reported, they said that the neighbor went onto the 78-year-old's property. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what is really the cause of the dispute here. So you have a guy living next door trimming the trees and crosses over onto his neighbor's property. His neighbor gets mad at him for being out there on his property trimming the trees. And again, the trees themselves were on the neighbor's property. They weren't on right. his. He wasn't over there, you know, cutting his neighbor's trees. He was cutting his own trees, you know, away from his neighbor's property. But the neighbor didn't want him there and got upset uh, with him. And it escalated. And sure enough, shots were fired. And now we've got another, you know, another person shot and killed over something absolutely silly. So the shooter's name is Drusalowski. I'm just going to call him the shooter. Drusalowski, yeah. Uh, Ford is the name of the neighbor that ended up being killed. So the shooter told officials that when he told Ford to get off his property, Ford allegedly told him, mind your own business, and then cursed. Yep. Well, he's on your property. So he has a right to say something to you about the fact that you're trimming these trees that are on his property. You can totally hear this happening. So Ford asks him, are you going to shoot me? And the shooter says, um, stop walking toward me or I'll shoot. And so apparently he said he feared for his life, but acknowledged Ford had not threatened him. And so, yeah, he retrieved a 357 revolver and confronted him and shot him. And that's that's what's really going to make the difference in this case, I think. But but again, Florida is so screwy with the way that yeah. it handles this stuff because could he well, he made a he made a grave error. Uh he made a couple of them, but he made a grave error in telling the police that Ford didn't threaten him. That Drusilowski, the guy with the gun, it went first of all, he went back and retrieved the gun like you said. You know, mm-hmm. they they get into this verbal argument. Drusilowski goes and gets his gun, comes back out, points it at Brian Ford, and Ford says, "What are you going to do? Shoot me?" and then starts walking toward him. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I mean, he says, "Okay, he never really threatened me, but he was walking toward me. I told him not to. He kept walking towards me. That's when I shot him." It, and does that amount to stand your ground? Well, you know what? In Florida, it might. Oh, I mean, is walking towards you um, putting your life in danger? Is that enough? I don't like that that's how this happened. That this was two guys like, what are you going to do, hit me? Yeah, what are you going to do, hit exactly. me? Exactly, right. Yeah, it, I'm going to hit you. Really, you're going to hit me? I mean, that's how it sounds. Right, a couple of guys puffing their chests out at each other and yelling at each other over absolutely nothing, by the way. And and it, it ends up with something like this. Again, you have to wonder, is this the first time these two guys have been in some kind of conflict? Because that's, well, I really that, doubt that, it. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, is that they don't like each other. Young guy, old guy, and old guy doesn't like the young guy for whatever reason. And they, you know, who knows what kind of conflict they've had in the past. So that when old guy sees young guy on his property, he says, I'm going to get him and walks out and starts this this conflict with him. Look, if you want to come onto my property and trim the trees, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> right. Anytime you want, just let me know you're going to be out there so you so I don't let the dogs out in the backyard. But, yeah, if you want to do that, go ahead. And something like this ends up with, uh, again, with somebody there on the ground dead. Who goes and gets their gun in that situation, though? Instead of just arguing about it, Somebody or maybe throwing mad. a punch, who... who proactively goes and gets their gun. And um, the victim's mother here is the one that's talking a lot. Uh, She said her eight-year-old grandson saw this happen and said he walked right up to him, put the gun to his chest, and fired. Yeah. 
I can't. I just can't even. This, yeah, I, I, and again, I would love to say this isn't going to go well for this guy. But then again, it's Florida. it's Florida. You can't really. I mean, it's so screwed up down there, and you can't guarantee anything. Even something as completely sensible as this guy went and got a gun when he didn't need to. He shot somebody when he didn't need to. He should go to prison. Well, yeah, but then you have to deal with Florida. Um, there have been charges filed here, right? Yes, he was booked. Yeah. Um, although it doesn't tell me what charge, weirdly, in the version of the story that I have. But he was booked and was being held without bond. Okay, that says to me it's a more serious charge if there's yeah. no bond there. That's that's either, uh, it sounds like a second-degree murder charge. But I, I don't have that in front of me either. Me um, yeah. So let me let me look a little bit more and see. Uh, yeah, second-degree murder. How about that? Okay. <laughs> Nailed it. Edward, Edward Drusilowski is charged with second-degree murder in the murder in, in the death of 42-year-old Brian Ford. So yeah. that's what we have right now. But anything could happen. And it would not surprise me at all, especially given the popcorn trial, which was not terribly far away. I mean, this is Volusia County, which is down south. Uh, but... It, you know, if if a guy can shoot somebody over having a bag of popcorn thrown at him in a movie theater, then it wouldn't surprise me to see this guy walk either. Or the water bottle that was thrown as they were driving down the street from yeah. one car into the other. Yeah, and that was Florida, too. Exactly. And this is, yeah, a 78-year-old guy. Is a jury going to send a 78-year-old guy to prison for something like this? Maybe. We'll see. If you have thoughts here, 913-586-7798. Still to come this hour, we have a lawsuit being filed against Google because a guy followed Google Maps directions and it went wrong. We'll get to that coming up here on KMBZ. All right, this next story I saw absolutely on every news site this morning. It was all over the place. And it takes us back to September 30th of 2022 in Hickory, North Carolina, where Philip Paxson, a father of two, was using Google Maps driving through an unfamiliar neighborhood on the way home from his daughter's ninth birthday party. He went a wrong direction and he was directed to go across a bridge that had collapsed nine years ago. Uh, now a lawsuit is being filed against Google Maps, against Google, for negligence. Yeah, and uh, I mean, they, they described the area as being particularly dark. Uh, they said it was late at night. He had stayed to help clean up after the birthday party, and it was just, it was so dark. They said it was pitch black. He couldn't really see where he was going. He was following Google Maps, so he figured he was okay. What I'm curious about is, I mean, if the bridge had collapsed in 2013, was there no signage at all? Was there no warning sign that, hey, the bridge is out, you're going to have to go back the other way? We don't know the answer to that, and it wouldn't shock me if it's that dark that maybe somebody wouldn't see it. You don't see it, sure. And now I don't like that either, because if it's that dark, you need to know that that sign then needs to have lights on it or do something so that nobody tries to cross where this bridge is no longer standing. And there were no lights on the road at all. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was out. Um, I'm, I'm looking around this area a little bit to try to see if I can, you know, just <laughs> oddly enough, I'm looking at Google Maps to see if I can figure out what, what might have happened here. But uh, there's a couple of different crossings over that creek. None of them looks really all that great, but uh, I can't find one that looks like it's still collapsed. There is a brand new bridge over one of them, so that may very well be the area where he was. But, I mean, it's it's out in the country, so you're talking about little two-lane blacktop roads that have brush all the way up to, to the roadside. I mean, there's no curb, there's no sidewalk, there's no nothing. It's out in the woods. 
The bridge uh, had no artificial lighting, according to the suit. The area was pitch black at 11 p.m. While following the, quote, dangerous directions the Google Map defendants provided, the vehicle went off the unguarded edge of the bridge and crashed approximately 20 feet below. I want to come back to that here in a second about the fact that this was an unguarded edge, of a, that there was nothing there yeah. to keep a vehicle from going over. Uh, the Jeep Gladiator was found partially submerged in a creek, and he uh, drowned inside. So the lawsuit says Google Maps have been notified about the Snow Creek Bridge collapse in the years leading up to Paxson's death. The suit includes images of messages from a Hickory resident who suggested edits to Google Maps twice regarding the collapsed bridge. So if you can prove that Google Maps knew that this bridge was gone and they didn't update their system, you might have a better case here. You might. And then it, it still comes back to how much is how much responsibility is going to be on the driver to be observant, because you look at it this way, if it's going to take time now, granted, in this case, if, they, if it was nine years and Google never updated anything, even after they had been notified of it, that shows some clear negligence on their part. But you can't necessarily put all of the onus on Google either because that bridge collapsed one day. And mm -hmm. if if Google Maps hadn't had time to update after the bridge collapsed, it would be a very different situation. I mean, there could be somebody who was who drove off a bridge hours after after it collapsed because Google Maps hadn't had a chance to find out yet. In this case, that's not true. But how much responsibility still goes to you to be able to look ahead of you and see what's going on? Yeah, to me, we have three places to talk about responsibility. Google, the person driving, and then whoever's job it should have been to put up a fence, some kind of marking, something to physically keep a car from going over that bank and down the 20 feet. So WBTV said the road is private. And in North Carolina, the state maintains state-owned roads, oh. but counties do not maintain public or private roads. So whose job was it? This was, this was private. So is it the private property owner's job to put some kind of guard up? Um, and how far back should you be notifying people? Like it's a dead end at that point. At some point, there should be a dead end sign saying, Turn here. You need to turn around and go back. Sure. Whose job was that? Yeah. To put and, that sign up. And there, uh, boy, it looks like the, this place is still being built. Uh, so here we are nine years later, and it's still not completely finished. I wonder how that works with with the uh, with the private roads versus public access roads and things like that out there. Because somehow, it seems like if it, if it really is a private road like that, should it even be on Google Maps? Should Google Maps even know about it? And, and okay. should it even direct you there? You know what I mean? And, and that bit that you were talking about earlier about the fact that there's no guardrails on the side of the bridge. Mm -hmm. I've looked at probably seven different crossings over this creek on Google Maps over the last five minutes. And I uh, some of them do have the little tiny guardrails, the ones that are you could step over them. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of them don't have any at all. So even that is I mean, it's, it seems like it's a fairly dangerous place to drive if you don't really know what you're doing. And he was lost. He wasn't familiar with the place. We'll go to your calls here in a sec. Somebody just asked what kind of party was he at? It was his nine-year-old's birthday party. Yeah. We don't know if he was impaired. No. And and uh, like I said, I mean, he, he was there, uh, you know, attended the party, stayed to clean up afterwards, and that's why it got late enough for it to be as dark outside as it was. So when he left, he just, outside of what his headlights were falling on, couldn't see very much. Let's go to Stephen Cameron. Hey, Steve. 
Cardin. Hey, guys, I remember reading about this story when it first came out, and the, the article that I did read said originally there were barriers put up, but after nine years, wind or storms or rain or something had blown them away. That makes sense. So, uh, they did exist, but I like your comments about, you know, if it's private road, should it show up? My next-door neighbor's driveway is long enough to get to his house from the, the actual road that it does show up on the maps. My mom now, lives in the same kind would... of place. Yeah, it's a long private driveway that connects four or five houses, and if you keep following it, you will end up in her garage. Yeah, fair enough. Thanks, guys. All right, hey, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, it seems like... Yeah, because, I mean, if it's like that, if it's a long private driveway rather than a, you know, what you and I would call a private road that goes all the way back and there's a bunch of houses along the way, even though it's a private road, if if you're asking Google Maps to take you to one of those houses, it's got to take you down that road. Right. Yeah, that's a really interesting. Like, I wonder what it looked like before the bridge collapsed. Like, what's on the other side of where the bridge was? And 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 frankly, are there barriers on the other side? If you were to come at it from the other way, yeah. is that private also? And what he said about the you know, nine years later, yeah, if things fall down, things fall apart. Uh, you don't necessarily see anything that used to be there. If somebody put up one of those little sawhorse-like things with the yellow and black stripes on it to tell you, don't go down this way. Well, yeah, storms come through, that gets knocked down. And then is the city going to come back out to a private road and put another one of those things back up? Likely not. Yeah, it's interesting. Um I'm I'm hung up on the idea a little bit or the fact that, that it was pitch black. I, I'm with everybody on the fact that it, it, it is, you do have some responsibility when you are following GPS to make sure that you're not going to drive into the ocean. I mean, to, to be aware of all of that. And if it's pitch black, we all, we've all been in places like that where you don't see it until you, until it's too late. Sure. And if there's a way, um, I mean, if, like I'd love to know what Google Maps says about the liability. Man, if anybody knows, if we can find that, like what Google <laughs> the, Maps says. The old end user license agreement nobody ever reads. Right. Do they have any responsibility for the directions that they give you? And that might matter here. Sure, because they are frequently wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. They're not as wrong as Apple Maps is, in my experience. But they, I mean, they do tend to screw things up. And they, they can only update as quickly as they get the information. And that usually comes, and this is another thing, the information that Google Maps gets to update, even with road closures and things like that, generally comes from the city, from the municipality. They call Google and say, hey, this is now closed, or send them an email or whatever, and say, you can't get through here anymore, at least for the time being. That's how that updates. On a private road, that's not going to happen. But the texter's right. Somebody just texted and said, Google Maps knows how to route you out of a parking lot. That is absolutely true. Sure. But um, maybe I don't know enough of the difference between public and private. Like, I'll be stuck in a shopping center parking lot. We've all had this happen. Like, you're in a grocery store parking lot, but it's one of those that connects a lot of parking lots. It absolutely knows how to get you to the little access road and then get you out to the main road. But is that because those lots are private or public? That is private property. Yeah, that's yeah. why, I mean, <laughs> this is another story that has no bearing here, but that's why uh, frequently accidents that take place in parking lots are so hard to figure out who's at fault because a stop sign in a parking lot means nothing. That's not really? a, that's not a stop sign. It's it's up there to try to direct you and say, okay, you you stop here and let these other guys go. But if it's on private property, that stop sign is meaningless. Texter said, never drive faster than the space your headlights shine and you can stop. Yeah, that's 
Oh, and, and Whose I'm, headlights shine far enough ahead? <laughs> yeah, they're better now than they used to be, but I know what you're talking about, and that's when you were talking about the, the the roads out in the middle of nowhere, like where your mom lives. Yeah. I've got friends who live in the area uh, in and around like Bradford, Pennsylvania, between Buffalo and Bradford, and, and it's roads exactly like that. We used to drive those things all the time, and you can't see... If it's pitch dark like that, if it's a new moon and you can't see anything, forget it. Yeah, you better be going, you better be crawling along because even a curve in the road won't be apparent to you until you're right on it and it's easy to drive off those roads. Um, so, yeah, I, I I can understand why this guy drove into the creek or might have if he was going even 30 miles an hour and didn't see it and didn't have any idea that the bridge was out until he got up to it, he wouldn't have had time to break. Especially if there's no barrier there, I think I think it's yeah. really difficult to see um, when it's pitch black to see like there's no road at like suddenly it's it's just this dark like I don't know what it was I, I assume it went over a river or creek or something but there's just nothing there and it's just pitch black and if there's no barrier or lights or anything you assume the road just keeps going and that's that's another part of the problem is that it does it goes over snow creek which is uh, kind of i mean as creeks normally are it's kind of windy and meandering and so are the roads because they had to build the roads kind of around the creek so um yeah it, it's it's not it's not an ideal situation but it just goes back to google should have known better they shouldn't have directed the guy off the bridge, but uh, you know there, there is some responsibility to share there because I think the texture is right. If it's that dark, you go by conditions. You crawl through there. And I, I know it's late. You want to get home, but you crawl through there because you can't see. Yeah. This one's complicated. 913-586-7798 if you want in. Still to come, yet another update on the F-35 crash. We know a little bit more from the pilot. And we have a witness to talk about coming up next here on KMBZ. All right, we're learning a little bit more about the pilot uh, with the F-35 that we're kind of lost for a little while. We'll get to him in a minute, but we have a witness to talk about. <laughs> yes, we do. There are times in TV news when you find a witness to a story and you just point the camera at him and let him go. And I'm assuming that was the case when they found this guy. As we talked about the the area where the this county where the plane crashed, where they found the debris of the F-35. And the fact that it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. There's not a lot out there. There's very few towns. Even the only towns that are there are right along the edges of the county. In the middle, it's all woods. But even where it's all woods, you can occasionally find a couple of houses, a couple of farmhouses or properties and things like that. And boy, did they find one. Uh, this one came to us out of Channel 5 in North Carolina. And uh, they, they did a little interview with a witness to the crash. Randolph White retired from his job at the paper mill in Georgetown 10 years ago. He lives in this house with his wife in a very rural area of Williamsburg County. Well, it's nice and quiet and peaceful. And I don't, I don't have to worry about people to you know, close up tight. You know, I like space. He loves living about two miles away from where he grew up. Normally, it's pretty quiet, but on Sunday afternoon... I was in the, uh, in the bathroom taking a shave, and I heard a, a screeching, saw that between a screech and a whistle. I said, what in the world is this? And I heard a boom! Then my whole house shook. White says he didn't realize it was a plane at the time, so he didn't call anybody. The first thought came to me, I said, well, must watch the meteorite come out of space or something. 
And I said, well, if the airplane, it needed to be reported, the thing was flying just too low. So yesterday evening, I said, the helicopters, I was out there walking, and choppers keep flying around. I said, well, somebody must, have, somebody must have robbed a banker, killed some people or whatever. So I walked up there. He told me it was about, about the plane. That guy needs some kind of award for being the greatest news actuality of all time. Didn't you say yesterday we need something like a buzzer on this show? <laughs> we need a bell. That's we right. We need a bell of some kind. I think we need to pull where he imitated the sound that he heard. <laughs> and I think that's the bell that we keep on a hotkey somewhere that, for every time we definitely, need it. Absolutely. That needs to live in infamy. So, uh, yeah, hat is off to that guy giving the best description possible of a plane crash. I couldn't do that. I couldn't make that noise in a million years. This is where the reporter is just like, you kind of know what you've got. <laughs> yeah. And you just let the microphone, you just keep the microphone there and just let them keep going. Because Absolutely. there's no way you're going to interrupt. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's like a little bit of Scatman Crothers. You got a little Hong Kong fooey going on there. And then just add in personality plus. We need to pull. Yes. That, that <laughs> few seconds. There it is. <laughs> so have you ever wanted to know? I mean, it beats people saying, well, the tornado sounded like a freight train. Yeah, we've heard that one before. Thanks a lot. Yeah. I appreciate it. We've rarely ever had someone just imitate the sound that they heard. Usually they describe it. <laughs> not give us a dramatic interpretation of what they heard. And the greatest thing about it, even though, I mean, obviously you can't see him from, from where you are, but I'll post, I'll put the, uh, the the TV news footage up on the Twitters here in just a little while. But, the I mean, he is exactly what you think. When you're listening to him, he's wearing bib overalls and a straw hat, and, I mean, he is just, uh, he's, he's awesome. I, I love that guy. Okay, so in all seriousness, for half a second, because that's all this really needs. Um, sources and experts are now saying, because the federal government's not telling us anything, and I don't like this answer either, that the pilot who ejected from the $100 million F-35 fighter jet claimed to have lost the plane in weather and bailed out before he could activate its tracking system. Um, a voice can be heard saying of the pilot on a Charleston County emergency medical services call posted by a meteorologist he's unsure of where his plane crashed and he just lost it in the weather yeah um plane's supposed to be able to do okay in the weather well you'd hope so wouldn't you and uh, now they're saying okay well it was a lightning storm um curious that the f-35's nickname is lightning <laughs> so uh, maybe they need to change the name of the plane but uh yeah apparently they have come under some criticism now for allowing that plane to fly through a thunderstorm, which apparently it's not equipped to do. That's more than a little disappointing. I mean, my Southwest Airlines 737 can fly through a through, through a thunderstorm with no problem. Yeah. So uh, what, the what stealth did, fighter can't? What, was, what did we say that the price tag on that program was? $1.7 trillion? Mm-hmm. Sounds right. Over the entire life of the program. And now that's not that just one plane, obviously. That's all of them. But still in all, $1.7 trillion. It better be able to make it through a thunderstorm okay. Yeah, I don't like that answer. I, 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 that's not a good... It needs to be something that would be unique to a stealth fighter. Yes. You know what I mean? I, in, in public aviation, like again, major airplanes can fly through lightning. Now, they try to avoid it, but they can do it. I don't want to hear that weather was the reason he had to bail out of a plane. No. And if that's the case, if you know the thing can't fly when there's a thunderstorm, I don't know, maybe watch the 
weather channel, you know, yeah. you get a little TV news going on and find out what's going on up there. Wait for another day. Uh, we'll see what else happens to come out of this one. All right, coming up, a uh, story that we've known about here for a bit. We have a six-year-old wrists bound with zip ties begging to not be arrested. What prompted this? Get to that coming up here on KMBZ.